I'm Ava Hartling. Welcome to The Brand is Female. This week we're doing things a little differently and what you're about to hear is actually the recording of our live event in conversation with The Brand is Female, which took place earlier this week on Tuesday night in Toronto. If you attended the event, thank you so much for coming and I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Najwa Zebian and Janet Zuccarini. If you missed it, well, now's your chance. You'll get to hear all of the wisdom, advice and experiences that Najwa and Janet shared with the audience that night. I hope you like today's show and if you do, as always, please subscribe, rate and review wherever you like to listen to podcasts. So welcome to the first ever In Conversation with the Brand is Female. I'm Eva Hartling. For those of you who don't know me, I run the podcast, The Brand is Female, and I'm very happy to have you all of here, uh, all of you here tonight, and especially our two speakers, who I'll introduce in a minute. Um, I want to say thank you to Home, the lovely space uh, where we are. They've been very generous with hosting the event. If you have not been at home before, I strongly uh, suggest that you take a tour of the space before you go tonight. Um, they have amazing meditation workshops. There's a light room, a dark room, a salt cave, that's my favorite, an infrared sauna. You'll get uh, a pass actually in your gift bag before you go. So I thank Caroline and Stephanie um, and the entire home staff. I also want to thank all the brands. There's a woman here tonight in the room called Sarah Gillen. Hi, Sarah. So if you haven't tried their teas yet, uh, Ollie is a Toronto-based brand uh, who do cannabis-infused, CBD-infused uh, products. Of course, the tea you're enjoying tonight is not infused, fortunately or unfortunately, but their products will be hitting the market soon, and we're very excited. So feel free to have some tea if you haven't tried them already, and the team will be introducing their products to you. And without further ado, please allow me to introduce our special guest tonight. So first, I'd like to welcome Janet Zuccherini. Janet is the founder and owner of Gusto 54 Restaurant Group. And I'm going to have to read my notes because it now includes several restaurants. So if I list them, there's Gusto 101, of course, Vittoria Nervosa, Pie Norton Thai, Kin, uh, Chubby's Jamaican, Gusto 54 Catering, and now even Felix in LA, which was named the best new restaurant in America shortly after its opening. And if you've listened to the Brandy's Female podcast with Janet, you will hear the story, but I think we'll get to talk about it tonight a little bit. Janet is also um, uh, bringing new projects to life in coming months, or a few of them in Toronto. Uh, she's also a resident judge on Top Chef Canada, and she's a force to reckon with, in case you hadn't grabbed that yet. Um, She's been recognized with several awards, including Independent Restaurateur of the Year by Food Service and Hospitality's Pinnacle Award. She was selected by the RBC Canadian Women Entrepreneur Awards as the recipient of the TEC Canada Award for Excellence in Entrepreneurship. Just a few weeks ago, Deloitte awarded Gusto 54 Restaurant Group the best managed company and as per the number of guests from the Gusto team in the crowd tonight, I think we can safely say that Gusto is an amazing place to work and Janet is a fantastic boss. Thanks for coming, Janet. So my second guest tonight is Najwa Zebian, and I know a lot of you in the room are coming to hear Najwa as well. So she is a writer, speaker, and educator. Najwa has been motivated to write about the search for home, what she describes as a place where the soul and heart feel at peace. She came to Canada at age 16, completed her studies, and became a teacher and PhD candidate. Her first students, a group of young refugees, led her to write. In her words, she began to heal her 16-year-old self by writing to heal her students. Since self-publishing her first collection of poetry and prose in 2016, Najwa has become an inspiration to millions worldwide. She writes about very personal experiences, drawing on her own experience of displacement, discrimination, and abuse. But when Najwa writes, she heals all of us. Her words inspire us to live, love, and create fearlessly. Najwa just published her latest book, Sparks of Phoenix, following the Nectar of Pain that came out in 2016 and Mind Platter. 
Najwa has become a trailblazing voice for women everywhere. Najwa and Janet, welcome, and I'm so happy to have you here tonight. Thank you. So we have two women here who are from different backgrounds, different industries, and I was going to say different worlds, but we all live in the same world, so that's not true. But there is uh, something that unites you, because both of you have found their voice. Both of you have uh, unlocked your own potential, and that's what I want to talk about tonight. Janet, you've been doing that as the head of Gusto 54, as a restaurateur, uh, Najwa as an acclaimed writer, as an activist, and this is what unites you. And I think the women and the men in the room tonight want to hear about those experiences and want to hear about how they can find their own voice. So this is really a free-flowing conversation tonight. Uh, obviously, I have some questions for you to keep us on topic. We'll also take some questions from the audience uh, at the end of this, and we'll have some time for networking, tea tasting, uh, having a few bites uh, at the end. So I want to start this off by going back in time. Um, you've lived different experiences, as I've already said. You've overcome obstacles and challenges, but Let's go back to where it all started. I want to hear about Janet and Najwa growing up. I want to hear about your dreams and what did you think you would be doing later in life? What kind of life were you dreaming for yourselves and a career, if that was already something you were thinking about? Maybe Najwa to start. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so when I think back to my younger years, um, someone was just asking me, did you always know that you were going to be a writer? No, I didn't. Um, all I dreamt about was really finding that home, that place where I feel like I belong. And I didn't know how to put it in words at the time, but I just knew something was missing. So I was, I'm the youngest of six in my family, and there's a big age difference between me and my five siblings, who were all born right after each other. And so there's a big age difference between me and my parents as well. So, um, and I was the only one born in Lebanon. Everybody else was born here. So from a very young age, I was looking at the adults in my life and waiting to walk in their footsteps. And I felt like I was put in an adult brain at a very young age, and I never knew that. But I just, I knew I felt too much. And when my parents started traveling to Canada to stay with my siblings, because now they were at older ages, I would live with different relatives. Um, I lived in like eight to 10 different homes, I don't even remember the number, but I just remember always feeling like I had no place to go to at the end of the day. I had a physical place, I had a, someone who's gonna feed me and make sure that you know I'm, I'm well clothed and all that, but something was missing and it was that feeling of home. And I only discovered that once I became older and could say, this is what's wrong, this is what I've been missing all along, and that was, like six years ago, and I was 23 years old when I started writing. So as a youngster, I would say my dream was to feel like I belonged somewhere. Mm. That was my dream. It wasn't any of what I'm doing right now in terms of writing or speaking or any of that. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And Janet, for you? My parents were off-the-boat immigrants, so I grew up very much in a household where you were taught you have to you have to work hard to get anything you want in life and i had a really rough road in school and i think i was, i felt i was given the label that that i'm stupid and i just struggled and my parents were the type of parents who didn't sit down and do homework with you they were just like do better and i did not know how to do better ended up flunking out of high school completely just completed grade 8 math and that's all I could um, get to, and subsequently went on later on in life to go to university. But I had these obstacles of being feeling like I'm stupid, and I did not have the support in my house, but what I did have was I was witnessing parents working very hard. Even if my mother was a stay-at-home mom, she worked very hard at being a great stay-at-home mom, and my father was a workaholic. So that's all I saw, and as a child, I, I didn't play with Barbies or dolls. What I did was I set up a desk and just lots of stamps, and I was a business person. And I think 
my father was an entrepreneur, and I think that's what I feel that I have is the entrepreneurial spirit. And I think when I look back, and that's what I chose to play with, and that's what I am as an entrepreneur. So I think, you know, I was informed. It's, it's so interesting to look back what you play with, and you look back, and so I wanted to be a business person. And I think it, in both cases, your parents influenced you. Was there somebody else in your entourage or somebody, maybe a role model that you looked up to that also kind of gave you inspiration for who you wanted to become or what you could do later in life? For me, it's always been my father. And again, probably because I followed so much in his footsteps of becoming an entrepreneur. But um, it was this just incredible hard work ethic and a man who just was unstoppable. And my, my father never missed a day of work, and he went from the office into palliative. He, he was sick, and I bring him to the hospital, and they're like, where is he coming from? He's, this is a very sick man. I said, I'm just, he's just a, take him from the office. He was just at work. They, he's he's going to die. And I check him into palliative, but it was like this, this man that just had this strong mind that you can overcome anything, and you just have to do it and work hard. So for me, it's always been my father. And you, Najwa? For me, I feel like it was multiple people along the way. Um, I learned from my dad, I learned about integrity, and from my mom, I learned about kindness, infinite kindness. That's what I got from them. But in terms of what I'm doing today, I would say that seeped into it, but there was a lot of figuring things out on my own. And the reason I say that is I know that people sometimes listen to this and say, well, I didn't have a role model growing up. Mm -hmm. And I, I just want to say that that's okay because you can pave your own path to get there. So people will play a different role in your life, but it doesn't mean that they were the reason you became who you, were, you are today. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Were you conscious of any limits in terms of what career path you could take or becoming a writer, a teacher. And was there anything specific around you're a girl, you're a woman, so this is what we expect you to be? Or did you feel like you could go after anything you wanted to do? Go ahead. <laughs> My father was Italian, and you know Italians would have kids to work on the farm in Italy. That's why you had kids. And having a boy was celebrated, and having a girl was like not celebrated. So my father had three girls. And, <laughs> and he's this entrepreneur and he's, you know, my father brought the first espresso machine into Canada. He started coffee culture. And as a kid, I worked in that business. Um, and so he raised me like the son he never had. Mm -hmm. And because he had to. And he's like, I need these girls to come into the business. So I think that really helped me and in any time that I thought that I couldn't do things even if it was physical like these three group espresso machines made from brass nickel plated brass do you know how heavy these things are and he'd be like get on the other side and lift it and I and pick it up and carry it across the room and I would say that's impossible like I can't and he's like you can do this so even from a physical standpoint he got me to do things that boys would do and so I was never brought up with any kind of limitations or to think that, oh, I'm a woman and I can't do that because of how I was raised. Well, my story is completely different, but not in a way that's like... My, my dad never was the type to say, you can't do something. Right. But because I was born and raised in a tiny village in Lebanon of like a thousand people... Um, everybody knew everybody. Culture and religion were very, very strong. So I started covering. I, I wore the hijab when I was 13 years old um, because I went to an Islamic school, and it was just such a normal thing to do, and it was actually celebrated if you covered. And so at the time, I only saw women around me. If they got somewhere, it would be that they became a teacher. But otherwise, you just your dream is to get married right out, out of high school or... Um, even if you go to university, you're considered like, oh, who's going to want to marry you? And it's actually, it's funny, but it's not funny because, <laughs> because the pressure as a youngster is real. Like, I remember when I moved here right before grade 11. And by the end of grade 12, more than half the girls in my class back home were married. And so you internalize things. You think, 
is something wrong with me? But like, no, that's all you've been, that's all you've been around, right. you know? It's your normal. So exactly, it's your normal. So um, I would say that I started discovering these hidden boundaries that I, no one thought I would push. Like no one thought, oh, she's, she's not going to do this. No one thought she's not going to cover anymore. No one thought she's not going to, um, you know, She's, she's not going to follow these rules that we have ingrained in our culture. And so when I started pushing those boundaries, that's when I started getting some resistance. And that's when I learned that sometimes freedom is, um, is within limits for some people. They say, be as free as you want, become whatever you want, but don't do this and don't do this and don't do this. So I started discovering that bit by bit. And I started stepping into my own power on my own by saying... You, you talked about finding our voices, both of us. I would say that finding your voice is by saying, this is what I want. Mm -hmm. it's, it's by actually saying what you feel and what you want. That's how you find your voice. Mm. And so, you know, those are the things that I overcame um, from being a girl to, to, to this day, I would say. And were you taught about women's right to independence, to power? You know, Janet, you had a dad, an Italian dad who raised girls but wanted boys to, you know, to, to help him work. Um, and you grew up, Najwa, in, in a small village in Lebanon. But were you taught that, you know, women were able to achieve that power? And maybe did you have even role models who showed you that was possible? Again, the, the upbringing, my parents were, you can do anything you put your mind to. And even I was flunking out in school. My mother would say, they don't, they don't know what they're talking about. But she couldn't help me. But she was like, you're, you're going to figure this out because you're smart and maybe I'm smart in a different way. Now they have all sorts of systems on how they, yeah. uh, how they teach children who have um, whatever, maybe I had attention deficit disorder or something. I have no idea. But my mother just... You're, you can be a superstar. She just would go for the stars. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that was just the message that she always yeah. gave me. And my father just gave me that message that, you know, I can work as a man can work. And so it was all extremely positive messages mm -hmm. in that respect. That's amazing. Um, I, like I said in my uh, previous answer, there were limits that were not seen by me mm. until I had to push them. So, right. yes, I, I would be told things like, you can do whatever you want, you can go wherever you want, but something as simple as, for example, traveling alone as a woman, you can't do that. Mm -hmm. So I had to do it a few times and say, but I can do this, I need to do this for work, until it became normal, right. until it became like, okay, she can do this now. Um, so you push the limits back in order yeah. to have the right to do all these things. Yes. So, and I think that many, not just women, but also men, there are certain things that you don't think are forbidden mm -hmm. until you try them. And you could be given all these messages of empowerment, but when it comes down to action, like when you fall down on your knees and you really need help, are those around you going to unconditionally lo love you through mm. that? Or are they going to say, well, it's your fault. You did something we told you you shouldn't do. Right. And a lot of people go through that, right? Mm. So, yeah, I would say that I was given those messages, but I, I, I'm, and I'm not focusing on my family in particular. I'm looking at the entire culture, mm -hmm, the entire mm -hmm. community that was around me. Um, because that was like, it was, it was caving in in different ways. And you hear certain messages, but no one puts them into action. Mm. So, you know, you, you push people to, to not be hypocrites and say, but you said this, so, yeah. And I'm curious, back then, for young Janet, young Najwa, what was your definition of success? I think back then, my definition of success was freedom. And I've just had this attachment to living my life and doing what I want and being the designer of it and how it's going to look. So I wanted to do different things when I was younger and that was actually traveling. Mm -hmm. And I left home when I was 18 and I moved to Rome by myself and that's where I went to university and I stayed there for eight years. 
but I wanted that, that level of freedom to make these uh, kind of choices to wherever the wind would blow me and where I wanted to be. Um, and that's, that is still a degree that's a success for me in a little way, but back then when I was young, that's what I wanted. I wanted just freedom. Mm -hmm. And that's what? Yeah. From a young age, success to me was um, starting a family, like just going through the same steps that everyone around me was going through, which is get married, have children, and then just move forward with life. Um, but, but even that image seemed like something was wrong with it because, again, my life has been defined by that search for a home. And um, maybe deep down that was what success meant to me is mm -hmm. finding that place, whether it's with people or, um, or not with people or through a job or something. And so as I grew older and moving here at 16 definitely made a difference for me because now I was looking at different universities that I wanted to go to and different programs. And so I decided to become a teacher. I wish you were one of my students. <laughs> I think I would have done a great job because I'm very much into like every child is different and they have different strengths. And so I found a piece of home through mm. that. Mm -hmm. I found a piece of home through advocating for the little ones who have no one to, to advocate for them, who have no voice. So my definition of success definitely changed, and now it's definitely different from what it was when I was that young. And yeah. Janet, is your definition of success still freedom? It, my definition of success now is, is broader that I want to make a difference. So it's become, before it was more focused on me and things that I want to do in a, in a selfish way. And now it's in building this company, I, you know, I, I can I say as a joke, I. You know, I make pizza for a living. It's what I do. But when I look at uh, the team, and a lot of some of my team are here uh, tonight, and I look at the people and the lives that are being built and what we're building together um, within the company, um, and also what we're doing for the communities and the planet, and trying to grow this company really responsibly and give back, and that that is fulfilling to me. So it's le leading this life that is really fulfilling and that becomes like a more altruistic life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So on your path to becoming who you are today, finding your voice, and it, you did it with, you know, in two different backgrounds. So Janet starting the business, opening your first restaurant, Najwa becoming a teacher and then starting to write because your students inspired you. What would you say was the biggest obstacle you faced? You want me to go if first? You, if you had to pick just one. <laughs> I would say the biggest obstacle was being fully myself, I would say, um, because I was still hiding a lot of who I was. Mm. That's the biggest obstacle that stood in the way of me being authentic in what I was doing. Um, and again, in saying, this is what I like, this is what I don't like, this is what I want, this is what I don't want, that was the struggle. It's like, you know taking off all of those layers of I'm hiding because I feel that people think sensitivity is bad. We were just talking about this. My sensitivity, my empathy, my ability to really feel what someone is going through or my ability to sit with a feeling for a long time, all of that was encompassed into that obstacle of being, like projecting my true self. Mm -hmm. I would say that's it. Yeah. And Janet. I spoke about this on the podcast, but when I opened my first restaurant in Nervosa in Yorkville, I opened it with a partner, and I call that relationship was a soul-destroying relationship. <laughs> and it was, for me, it was abusive, and I don't think anyone does anything to you. You allow them to do it to you, but I didn't know how to get out of that partnership, but I faced uh, verbal abuse every day and also threats for physical abuse every single day that I worked until I found my way four and a half years later, found my way to get out of that partnership. So, you know, that, that was an obstacle because I was not happy if I really looked at it. I was showing up every day going, I just need to get through this. I'll figure it out. I don't know how I'm going to get out of this partnership. But once I got to the point of buying him out, and then my life really took off. I think that you can't trade those hard times in for anything. And mm -hmm. I, 
I, I wish it were true that you learn through the good times, but I don't think you're stretched. I don't think your soul grows when times are easy. I think it's the hard times yes. where you're really pushed and you, and you, you grow. Mm. And Najwa, you spoke about um, finding your true self and being mm. authentic. How, how, did you, how were you able to connect with your, with your real self ultimately? Um, for me, it was a series of moments and events where I had to choose between this manufactured image of a, of a girl who doesn't upset anybody, who doesn't say no, who is the good one, mm. and the real me. And, and, and by that, I don't mean to contrast in a way that's like, I'm not a good person. I'm a good person, but in my own definition, not in the eyes of others. Right. And for so long, I chose this one and to a point where I physically, emotionally, in every way possible shrunk mm -hmm. to nothing. And I felt like I couldn't recognize myself. And for anyone who watched my very first TEDx talk, I describe a moment when I looked in the mirror and I couldn't recognize myself. And I know that sometimes you hear that and you think, oh, that's just a poetic thing. But it was real. I looked at myself and I'm like, this is not me. There was something that was missing. And so that was a one of those turning moments where I'm like, I need to be able to see myself. I need to not worry about the image that others see, that others love, that others accept. And if I have the courage to let go of that fear that people will walk out of my life mm. because of me being who I am, if I have the courage to do that, then I can be myself. And build new relationships and new connections. And it was very hard. It's not easy. And to this day, it's not easy. But it's those times that teach you that at the end of the day, as long as you don't lose yourself, lose as many people as you have to. Mm -hmm. Like even if you're alone for a while. Um, and I went through that and still currently am going through that. And I am learning to, to really love myself by... Um, not depending, not basing my self-worth on who loves me or who asks about me or who takes care of me. I say, I need to be sure that if I don't treat myself that way, I can't expect it from anyone, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's so true. And in those moments when you face obstacles or when you were going through a difficult period, Jenna, you talked about the, the partner who wasn't, uh, you know, who was abusing you and, and, and that wasn't an ideal situation, obviously. Um, who helped you along the way? But also I want to know, were you able to ask for help? Because I think that's something a lot of women struggle with because we're taught to be strong, independent, yeah. you, you know, you'll get over it, don't be so sensitive. And often we don't ask others for help in the moments where we actually need it. Well, for me, my story was my father was very upset that I didn't go into his uh, company eventually and just went and opened up my own business. And he was upset, so he would say, you know, you're going you're gonna to fail. And long story short, my father started in the restaurant business, opened a restaurant, and um, lost everything to a partner that stole all the money. And he, he brought me up saying, don't don't go into partnership and don't open up a restaurant. And I went into partnership and I opened up a restaurant. <laughs> and so there, was, there so, was a little, I told you so that yeah. came at some point. I'm yeah, sure. so when I was struggling, I was like, I'm not letting anyone know. <laughs> like, I can't show this weakness or I, I, no, I just kept it inside. Maybe I, I definitely spoke to my friends, Angela, Angel, I spoke to you a lot about it. And, uh, friends and my, my sisters, I spoke to, to them about it, but it was, it was hard because just, I just needed the money, right, to buy them out, and right. I didn't, when you start a business, you don't have the money, so I had to kind of wait it out. I would never allow that treatment ever again, but um, no, I had, to, I had to keep that inside of myself and just sit with it and, to figure it out. Mm. <laughs> and yeah. Najwa? Anybody who helped you, or did you were you able to reach out for help? So the experience that I am thinking of is um, when I went through an experience of uh, power abuse in the workplace, mm -hmm. and this was someone who was double my age, who I developed a very strong emotional attachment to, 
And um, given that I come from a very sheltered culture, it was inevitable to happen that I would get immediately attached to the first person who showed me attention. And um, it's not easy for me to talk about, but at the same time, I, I've learned to, um, if I want to be the real me, I have to admit those things. Because I could easily tell you it was an experience of power abuse, and this person was, I really had a very bad emotional attachment to this person. That's what I struggled with the most. Mm -hmm. And so when that's coupled with abuse and with gaslighting, I'm not sure if people in the room know what gaslighting is, but it's basically when someone distorts your own recollection of what happened. So when they tell you, like imagine somebody that you really trust and you're telling them, you know, last week you told me this and they look at you like they're looking at a zombie and they're like, I don't know what you're talking about. So because you trust them, like that trust is very important in it. Because you trust them, you say, well, if he's telling me that I didn't say that, I must have not said that. So you question your own sanity. I went through that for like three or four years and I kept it in because first of all, how do I tell my family that I like someone who I'm not married to? Like in my culture, mm -hmm. you, li you like someone when you're married to them. Right. There's no such thing as dating. You don't engage in relationships outside of marriage. So it was a very shameful thing for me to admit. And I kept it to myself until, and everyone would say, you've lost so much weight. You look so tired. You're this, you're that. Why aren't you sleeping? Why aren't you eating? And it's just like I wrote in Sparks of Phoenix, I was telling them that I was in pain without telling them. Right. So you're, you're displaying, you're crying for help. You're crying for someone to say, what's going on with you? But you can't even talk to them about it. Mm -hmm. So I hid it until I couldn't do it anymore. I would be driving and I would imagine that I'm getting into a car accident. Like it got so bad mm -hmm. for me. I was in such a dark place that I was numb and it was like, when you're at the deepest part of that hole that you're in, you think to yourself, it can't get any worse. Right. So I just shared what happened mm. with a therapist, and then I shared it with one more person, and one more person, and one more person, and then I finally complained. And so it, keeping it in, it kills you. It kills you on the inside, yeah. doesn't it? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. It's hard. And what would be your advice for someone who is keeping something in how do you take that first step in asking for help or speaking to someone? Because that first step is the hardest thing to do. I know how difficult it is because I remember being in that place and like to feel that a part of you that you've held on to for so long that you're so afraid of people seeing is being exposed somehow. It's very difficult. Mm -hmm. So I would tell that person Find someone who you know deserves to hear your story, deserves to hear what you went through, and who will receive it in a way where they're going to say, I understand. Not, why did you do that? Or how could you have been so stupid? Or you could have said no at this point. Just find someone who you know is going to listen, to understand whoever that person is. It could be a friend, it could be a family member, it could be a therapist. For mm -hmm. me, it was my therapist. Yeah. It wasn't even my family. Mm. Sometimes it's easier to speak to somebody yes. who's a stranger. Yes, find one person. And if you can't find that one person, write your story out. Just write it. Write it from your perspective. I often give people advice. I say, start by saying, this is what's hurting me. This is why it's hurting me. And this is what I would like to do about it. And I find that that guided activity really gets you to a point where you're either going to decide to deal with it or you're going to decide to give it some time and see if you're ready at a point in the future. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Janet, maybe in retrospect, if you were facing a similar situation today, how would you deal with it with that business partner? When I'm now thinking about what, what I went through, I realize also I was also lying to myself that I didn't want to admit the type of, um, you know, abuse that I was feeling. And uh, what, it, it's, it's appropriate here, I, I went and did like yoga and meditation. And that I had a breakthrough 
in my first time I took a vacation away, I worked four and a half years and then I went away and then that, that yoga and that meditation, I had access to my pain. Mm-hmm. And I just remember I just woke, I was just after a couple of classes and I just started sobbing and I'm like, I'm not happy. So I think sometimes you have to get to your own truth. Mm-hmm. And right now there's so many methods out there to, from, I mean, I think meditation's the best thing to do. And you have all the answers inside of yourself. Can you sit quietly enough to hear the answers? So I, I think that's the, the powerful thing is meditation. And, you know, the truth will set you free once you get to your own truth. And, and just talking to people and, like, sharing that. There's, there's just healing and advice coming, can come from a lot of people that you trust. Mm-hmm. Najwa, do you consider yourself a feminist? Absolutely, of course. (laughs) And what's your definition of feminism in 2019? My definition of feminism. Or what does it mean to you to be a feminist? What does it mean to me? So to me, from my personal experiences, it means to allow girls and women to step into their own power and define that power on their own um, and to be authentic in a way that is um, free of cultural restraints and religious restraints. Again, I'm speaking from personal experience Mm -hmm. because when I decided to uncover, which was about a year ago, I I was telling my team this morning, I still get comments to this day, messages, emails, uh, people bully me, harass me all the time and say, um, you know, you're such a bad example for women everywhere, especially for young girls. Um, And so for me, feminism is about, it's not Mm anti-men. It's it's literally about allowing women to be who they are without shaming them and saying, you showed a little bit of skin, that means you're asking for something. And, And I know that that's widespread everywhere, but specifically from the culture where I come from, it's exceptionally bad. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm gearing my efforts towards those parts of the world to empower women, obviously, while keeping myself safe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and before I go and ask the same question to Janet, I've, I'm curious to ask you, what was behind the decision to uncover last year? I just didn't see myself wearing it anymore. I, it had been part of my identity for so long. So I wore it when I was 13, and last year when I took it off, I was 28. Mm. And um, I asked myself, so, so here was a turning point for me. I thought in 100 years, if someone writes a book and I see my biography and I see a picture with, with all my accomplishments underneath, that picture didn't have me covered. Hmm. And, it, and I just thought, wow, I don't see myself the way that I actually project myself to the world. So I knew that I had to make the decision. And I, it was just, it was something I had never imagined before. And now all of a sudden I was like, I need to do this. Like, I know this is what's right for me. And then I started asking myself all these questions. Like, if I didn't wear it and right now ask myself, do I want to wear it? Mm-hmm. The answer would be no. Do I believe that this is a, a, an important part of me being a good person? No, and I know that's hard for some people to listen to, but I just didn't see myself wearing it anymore and, um, and, and I just had to take the steps towards it, mm. yeah. And to go back, Janet, are you a feminist and if so, What's your definition of feminism? I would say I'm driven by equality. Mm-hmm. And right, Ange? Hey, Ange, equality. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, you always say to me, like, I, I'm, a, like I, I'm about equality and, and balance. And so I'm a Libra. And it, there's just, there isn't balance in the world right now for women and minorities. And so I will fight for that. And in, in my small way, being a female entrepreneur and I'm in a male-dominated business, if I can help one woman in business or help inspire any women, I'm for that mm-hmm. because the world just needs balance. Mm-hmm. That's so true. And the world also needs power or has power. We face power. What's your definition of power, Najwa? 
Um, power is what you make of it. It could be power as in I'm above everybody else and I can do whatever I want. Uh, for me, my own power is just allowing that light from within. I say in my first book, to the sun and you don't be afraid to shine. That's power. Mm. To the ocean and you don't be afraid to rage. That's power. Um, to the silence and you don't be afraid to break. That's power. Power is not allowing your self, mind, body, and soul to be um, controlled by anyone other than yourself. That's what power is to me. Mm. It's, not, it's not seeing a president or that's not what it is. It's like mastering that inner, this is who I am and this is who I'm projecting into the world. Janet. You said that so beautifully. <laughs> I do not want to follow that. <laughs> You be you. <laughs> it's exactly what you okay. said. <laughs> and it's, ta it's, ta <laughs> it's tapping into your source, so your light, exactly what you said so beautifully. And it's being self-actualized. And what that means to me is not going to mean the same to you or you or anyone but can you live your truth? And sometimes you can't even see what your truth is. We, we, we're all clouded. We are, we're products of our upbringing, of the country that we're born in, where we immigrate to. Uh, so how do you know what the true voice is? And that's your inner work. I think everyone's inner work, and I believe in leading an examined life, and that's the road that I've chosen. And I look inside, and I have different methods to look inside, but, uh, you know, I keep trying to live my personal truth. Mm -hmm. And that's power to me. Mm. And Najwa, I've actually heard you refer to finding the power of your own voice in an interview. So what would be your advice for women wanting to connect with their inner power? I say something to the same effect that she said earlier, which is listen to yourself. Like listen to what your heart really says to you. And it's not, it's not like the follow your heart. I don't, I don't yeah, ever yeah. say that, but it's, it's more like listen to, so the way I see it is, and I'm a poet, I visualize things obviously. So the way I see it is you're, you're, you're in the middle of this circle and you're walking around and most of us live in a way where we see these arrows pointing at us. This person's thinking this of me, that person is thinking that, or they're saying this, or they said this, or you're stuck in the past, but it's all like things that are pointing at you, your past, your feelings of rejection, your feelings of I don't fit in, I don't belong. So I say finding that power and finding that voice is about just flipping those arrows over mm -hmm. to the other side. You're walking and you're projecting yourself into the world instead of allowing the world's projections into you. Mm -hmm. That's what I would say. Yeah. That's good advice. Just walk around and imagine that you're like emitting this light. And like if somebody says something to you that's mean or rude or whatever, just imagine that it's just, it's deflecting. And it's going back in the other direction because it doesn't belong with you. Mm. Yeah. Let's talk about growth. Um, and the process that we're talking about, finding your voice, unlocking your own potential, very much has to do with growing as a human. What's your experience with growth? What does growth mean to you? And I know you'll both answer that you're still on that path. So tell me about your experience with growth. Again, I think it's such an individual thing. What, what, you know, what is growth? For me, it's really important to grow and keep doing better. Keep, and that means keep working on myself, keep working on, on the level of the business, keep working in my relationships and friendships. So it's, for me, it's whatever my barometer is, I want to do better. I just want to do better. And I think that um, it's not like you're not happy with yourself. I just have this drive to do better. I, I just have it inside of me, so that makes me happy. It's not like I'm not accepting where I am right now. I've been, I say, mostly happy, but I want to achieve things in my life, and I want to have self-actualization, whatever that means to me. So just keep getting better. <laughs> and that's why growth for you. I think that growth is... Um 
a lot of people think just aging is growth. Mm -hmm. I yes. mean, it is in a certain way, but or getting a new job or uh, being able to afford something else or or having a new friendship. Or to me, growth is about stepping outside of your comfort zone, whatever that is. My comfort zone could be very different than someone else's comfort zone. So for me, for example, last year, like the first time I walked outside without being covered, to me, that's growth because I'm challenging that comfortable space that I've created for myself. And then the first time, for example, that I, you know, uh, decided that I was going to get to know someone, but without thinking in my head, I'm going to marry this person. Mm -hmm. That was a big deal. That's growth. Um, stepping outside of what your own comfort zone is and saying, I'm going to take a risk and I might fail and there might be that I told you so, but so what? We, we are all human. We all make mistakes. Mm -hmm. Growth is about making those mistakes and, and, and hoping that, risks. yeah, may, you know, there, there's this quote that I always think back to. It says, what if I fall? And then it says, but darling, what if you fly? Mm -hmm. Like, you just don't know. Yeah. You might fall. You might fall 90% of the time, but there's that 10% that will make that 90% worth it. Like when you were talking about your experience of abuse in the workplace, you said that's what what grew me as a person, if you didn't go through that, you probably would have allowed that to happen at some point in the future, right? So you learned from it. So that to me is growth, mm -hmm. yeah. You're both leaders, um, leading a team, but also your role models for uh, people who look up to you. You are a source of inspiration for many in your respective fields. Um, how does, what, what is your view on the responsibility that comes with being a leader and how does that affect or influence your, your leadership style? Maybe Janet first. Really the only thing I've ever done is work for myself. So I, I got to create a company however I uh, imagined my company to be in it. And I think the years of abuse I learned to do the exact opposite, create a workplace that was uh, run from love. So I would say that I have this company and it's a restaurant group and we end our meeting saying, I love you. Right, Juanita, Angela, ladies? Because <laughs> I, I got to create it and I think that you can do a great job and you can have a workplace that's respectful and kind and full of love and actually fun. You know, and, and at the end of the day, we're not saving lives in what, what line of work that, that I do. So why not, like, let's have a good time doing this. Mm -hmm. And um, I have a lot of friends that work for me, and I think that we are, we are all having a great time. And there's not to say that there isn't time where the, the, the work is hard. But, um, you know, for me, leadership, a great leader creates leaders. What I do is I just... I just pick leaders. I pick natural leaders. I pick superstars and I let them use their superpowers and I get out of their way. <laughs> I love that Empower answer. Them. Yeah. And Najwa. Um, during my doctorate program in education, we learned about the different styles of leadership and the one that got to me the most was servant leadership. Mm -hmm. So you lead by serving. You lead by empowering. You lead by saying, you have that superpower, go fly with it. Um, whereas the leadership that we see nowadays is like, I'm the boss, you have to listen to what I have to say. So for me, with the work that I do, my leadership is, first of all, in if I tell people, share your story, I've shared mine. Mm -hmm. If I tell people, be yourself, I am myself. It's leading by example, by saying, I'm doing this. If I tell people your sensitivity isn't weakness, I am going to be sensitive and I'm going to show my writings that show my sensitivity. And um, the other part of it, the other part of this serving would be actually helping people, listening to their stories when I get a chance to and, you know, validating them, honoring their story and saying, this is what I think you should do. Mm -hmm. That's what leadership is to me in my field. And another question kind of in the same realm. Um, I think for a lot of women in the workplace who are, you know, gaining more responsibilities or becoming leaders or are leaders, often one of the question is, you know, is it better to be liked, even loved maybe, 
or is it better to be respected as a leader? <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> Let's go with Janet first. <laughs> I think that um, you can achieve both. Both, And, and again, uh, I have a lot of friends that work for me, and I just want, I want to have a good time at work. There's, you spend a lot of hours on the job, I, and I didn't enjoy it for years. And how am I going to create something where, you know, that we actually can enjoy ourselves? So I'm, I don't think at the forefront am I being liked, um, I, but I think you can, ha you can achieve both. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I have a lot of young people in the company, and I think sometimes you have to give tough love. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. And in the moment, they may say, I don't like you. I go, you're going to love me later. <laughs> you don't like me right now, but it, it'll sink in at another time. Mm. So, uh, you, you know, a balance of both. So it's possible to be respected but still have those feelings of enjoying each other's company, liking somebody, and being liked by your peers and your employees. I mean, yeah, I mean that, that's a goal of mine to have that, mm. that feeling, a good feeling yeah. when you come into yeah. work. Um, for me, I don't aim to be loved by people, but I find that usually that balance is hard to strike. Like I'll either have people who are, they would follow me if I went to jump off a cliff. And <laughs> like that's that blind kind of love right. where it's like anything she says I agree with. And, and I, I don't like that because it makes me feel like I'm that other leader mm. that's like, you know, I, I hypnotize people yeah. and I'm not like that. Um, the most important thing for me is when people respect me because I feel like even with our normal, with our everyday definition of love, if respect is not part of it, then it's not real love, even if it's work relationships. Like you could admire someone, like one of your employees could admire you and say she's done so much in her life and I love her and whatever, but they could still not really, truly respect you through action you know what I mean and like value the experiences that you've gone through so for me it's like it all starts with respect mm -hmm. if you respect me then you can love me but if you just love me I don't know where respect falls into that mm -hmm. equation mm -hmm. that's how I see it that's so interesting going back to women issues um, or just women's fight in general What's your opinion of the impact that movements like hashtag MeToo, Time's Up have had and how have they helped further the cause of women? And this is obviously all very recent. Mm -hmm. I think it's been a huge pivotal, pivotal moment where I, I, things came to light for me where I would accept, I would say men behaving badly, like, oh, that's, uh, you know. Boys. Oh, boys yeah. being boys. Yeah. And that, that was a wake up to me as well to, wow, we can't accept that bad behavior anymore. Not, not from everyone, but whatever exists out there, Me Too can apply to so many different people. But wow, it was like a wake up call for me as well. And I think we now have a voice. Not only do we have a voice, uh, we're actually being believed. Where maybe before you thought, well, I could bring it up and then it's going to you know, cause problems and no one's going to believe me. But it's given um, light a voice, uh, you know, and we are now being believed. And I think it's a wake-up call for anyone who's been behaving badly mm -hmm. and a message that, you know, don't be a douchebag. <laughs> it's an important one. Okay. So I have to tell you this story, of course. Um, Sometime in October of 2017, I tweeted out, and this was the first time that I actually gave the world a snapshot of what I was going through. I, I wrote, hashtag me too. Mm. And I was blamed for it. I was told not to talk about it. I was told that it wasn't that bad, and I was told to get over it. And overnight, like it became, it, it was in the New York Times. It was everywhere. And I was just like, wow. Not that I was flattered that I was everywhere. The feeling that I got was, I can't believe this many people have gone through this kind of experience where you go through something and they tell you, oh, it's not that bad. Or so they minimize your they experience. Minimize, yeah. yeah. Or 
don't talk about it. Like I was made to sign a confidentiality agreement, mm -hmm. so I couldn't talk about it. And I'm like dying on the inside and get over it, which is like the worst thing you can tell someone when they go through an experience. So I feel like the Me Too movement and the, and I understand the criticism of, of movements like this, but to me, I choose to focus on the bright side, which is this has taken away that shame that's attached to you saying this happened to right. me. Um, it's allowed certain people who would have never imagined being able to put their story out into the world. And it doesn't even have to be the full story, but just to say, I went through a similar experience. And when you see people who've struggled for years with a certain story that they couldn't share, you, this is where these mountains that you are carrying, you were only supposed to climb, came from. Mm. Because it becomes like such a heavy weight. Mm. So something like the Me Too movement allowed that heavy weight to be lifted off of people's hearts and shoulders and for them to be able to move forward with their life in a way that's like, I'm not the only one. Mm. There's millions of people out there who've gone through this. So I feel like it's, it's, it's amazing to have this ha happen. And how can women find the right platform today to speak against injustice or tell those stories that they have to tell? I'm not sure if, if I don't know the right platform. I don't know the answer to that, but I know that it's speaking up in any matter, any circumstance that you're not comfortable and taking it to a person who can make a difference. So take it to the person who can make a difference. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think that um, usually people think they get stuck in, in um, viewing that person who abused them in whatever way as they have so much power over me. And I've said, I think I wrote this in Sparks of Phoenix, your silence is, so, sorry, your abuser is only as strong as your silence. Mm -hmm. That's how I see it. So I find that most times people think that their abuser is the only one who can take that pain away. Mm -hmm. So you're mm -hmm. stuck for so long being angry with that person, negotiating with that person, trying to like say, you know, I've allowed this to happen to myself, so I need to get over it. Like you, you go through all these phases, but at the end of the day, you need to, the goal is to remove their power from over you. It could be by filing a harassment complaint, which is what I did. It could be by talking about it to a friend or to a family member. It could yeah. be by talking to a therapist. It could be by writing about it. It could be some people choose to share it publicly. And I don't always tell people, go on a public stage and talk about it. Because there's, it's not an easy thing to do. That's mm -hmm. not the end goal. The end goal is removing your abuser's power from over you. And however that is, you do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you find a platform that works for yes. you. Yes. Um, what do you wish women would do more of? <laughs> Janet. I would say uh, what Sheryl Sandberg says, and that's lean in. Mm -hmm. And um, you, you've got to stand up for your rights and just have your voice be heard by just speaking louder and being there and showing up and, and standing up and, and fighting for your rights. That's a good advice. Najwa. I think women should do more of not allowing the world to define them, of defining their own selves, basically, mm -hmm. however that is. And to define yourself, you have to lean in, right? To lean in, you have to step outside of your comfort zone. You have to grow. Um, that's what I would say, is stop allowing the world to define you. Define yourself. And my next question, and it's, I think the setting we're in is perfect. We're inside home, a meditation space, a wellness space, and there's so much talk about self-care. And I think it is very important because as women, often we care about others before we care for ourselves. I'd like to know your definition of self-care. Um, and what do you do for self-care yourself on a regular basis? Maybe Najwa first. <laughs> So I describe self-care as, it's part of self-love. And I say that self-love is 
treating yourself as one of your loved ones. So imagine the person that you love the most and put yourself next to that person. And, and when it comes down to the actual practicality of it, if a loved one of yours is having a bad day, what do you do? You listen. You give them time to process. You do something that comforts them. Self-care and self-love is doing that for yourself instead of being hard on yourself and saying, there's no time for this. I'm just going to do that other thing that I need to do. Self-care is treating yourself not any less than you would treat your most loved person because you, whether you like it or not, should be your most loved one. Mm -hmm. That's the definition for me. Yeah. And Janet, self-care for you. Self-care for me is uh, leading, you know, a balanced life that I have enough that's stimulating and pushing me um, with what I do and work, my work life. And then everything that, that I personally need in my day to uh, function and feel great. And that to me means I need uh, out. I need the sunshine, I need to be outdoors, I have a passion for tennis, I play tennis most days, and um, I hike, I meditate um, every day, and I sleep, sleep well, I eat well, I like to sit down to hot meals, obviously that's what I do for a living, um, and I need to nurture my friendships, have time with my friends, have time with my family, so it's, it's, it's a balanced life, and I know personally what I need at this stage of my life, I wake up every day and I need to check certain boxes that I know brings me um, happiness and where I can function at my best. Mm -hmm. And now, Janet, you're familiar with the signature brand is female questions on a podcast, but they, they're new for Najwa. So there's a couple of them I'd like to ask you. Um, first one is if you could go back in time as far back as you need to, is there one thing you would do differently, one thing you would change? And we'll go with Najwa first. <clears throat> For the longest time, I wished that I had spoken up earlier about that need that I had to feel loved and like I belonged. But now I say I don't regret any of it because I feel that had I not had that intense need, I wouldn't have been pushed to find my voice in the way that I did. Mm -hmm. Like there had to be that period of, of misery and disconnection and feeling like the world is in black and white for me to start coloring it the way that I wanted to. So I wouldn't change anything. Yeah. And Janet, I've asked you that question in the past, but not everyone has heard the answer. Through some of the hard times that I've had, I wouldn't go back and, and change them because I just feel like I've, I've grown immensely. But I, when you asked me this question at the podcast, I, I, do, I did learn something. And I look back and I wish I had done something differently. And that was, I was in love with a man and I so badly wanted to tell him that I, I loved him and I just didn't have the courage. I didn't know if I would hear it back. So I didn't, and then he died after he was killed in a motorcycle accident. And I, you know, because I I'm, feel spiritual and I feel that I can speak to people, I don't feel like, oh my, that's such a regret because I know that he knows that or knew that after, but it taught me like how fragile life is and that every day is a gift. So can you have the courage to say the things that you really, really want to say, even if it means being incredible, incredibly vulnerable and maybe not hearing it back? So uh, I look back, I wish I told him when he was alive. Um, and uh, But it, again, that taught me lessons to say what, uh, what I'm feeling. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And Fast forward in time, 15 years from now, looking back, what's the one thing you'll be the proudest of, Najwa? Uh, I would be the proudest of the fact that I paved my own way, um, given that most of those around me didn't like it and made me feel ashamed for wanting to be 
who I am, um, I would be proud of me not submitting again to that fear of being let go or not loved and to, to create my own path despite that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Janet. I think I'd be the most proud of, I'm going to use the word integrity and trying to lead my life with integrity and, and make a difference. And even if I'm not saving lives, I feel that I want to do the best job within this company with myself. And I just, I, I want to be a good person. I'm, I'm just driven to be a good person. And it's not always perfect, and I have so much work to do, but I'm not giving up on the work that I have to do inside myself. I love that. And before we move on to questions from the audience, so start thinking about those questions you have for, for Najwa and Janet. Um, I'd like to know, Najwa, a book that, and, and you're a writer, you're a teacher, so I'm sure there's a, a list of them, but a book that particularly um, influenced you or even marked or changed your life? Um, the Prophet by Khalil Gibran. Um, it, that was the one book that, like, my dad had a whole wall of books back home, and that was the book I always gravitated to. I read it in Arabic, and then when I came here, I read it in English, and it just taught me everything about life and love. And I've always felt like I was older, and so when I read it, I was like, oh, my God. Someone understands. So that made, made a huge difference for me. Yeah. Yeah. Janet. A few books come to mind, but I think there's so much power in being present and The Power of Now, which I read, um, I think, the year that it came out, and that uh, forever changed me. I love that. Eckhart Tolle. <laughs> I want to thank you, Janet and Najwa, for sharing all of your wisdom and experiences and your healing words. I think you inspired and empowered many in the room tonight, and that was the goal today. So thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, thank you to you, the audience, for coming here. Thank you so much for coming to the first In Conversation with the Brandy's Female. It was great having you in our lovely space at home. Please. Enjoy tea, uh, a few bites before you go. Um, I think our, our two guests will also be around if you want to speak with them, ask them some more questions, uplifting or not. <laughs> and thank you so much. And also uh, what we recorded tonight will be airing as a podcast on The Brand is Female soon. So if you want to go back and listen to it and hear what Najwa and Janet had to share, you'll be able to uh, very shortly. So thank you very much and have a great evening. Mm -hmm.